Hello and welcome to the Failure Understanding Care and Kunst podcast. You're here with me, Ruth Aitken, and me, James Lee. In today's episode, we talk to Stuart McAdam. Stuart is a Scottish artist who we invited to participate in the project in 2019 and who cycled up from Scotland to Tromsø, taking 41 days. In the episode today, we're going to talk to Stuart about the borders between art and life. So when the borders between art and life are collapsed, what is an artwork and what is, well, just doing something because you want to do it. We're going to talk about his use of cycling in his art practice as well. And we're going to, of course, reflect on his journey from Scotland all the way to Tromso and the Arctic Circle. We recorded this episode in Aberdeen in Scotland where we met Stuart in a little public space between a shopping centre and a cemetery. So what you can hear in the background is some wind, some seagulls and some shoppers. Hope you enjoy the episode. How do you feel? Three years ago today, you were you were cycling in northern Norway, and you met us at the Arctic Cathedral just before one comes into Tromso. Yeah, the my everlasting memory of that day was I was at a sort of one of these roadside supermarket service stationery type things, and I had been eating so much food as you do when you're doing a, a long cycle trip like that. And I'd got to the point where I would just buy, I had a tub that I'd kept, a slightly larger tub, and I would just decant everything that I bought. <clears throat> so I'd bought some potato salad, some fake meat type stuff, some vegan fa- fake meat. Um, and I just put it all in, mixed it all up, put <laughs> salad in a roll, and then just started scooping this stuff onto there and just sat and ate in the most displeasurable way possible. Food had no meaning, no value, no interest. <clears throat> And basically, that's my, and my 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 bum was sore that day as well, um, <laughs> and it was the, one of the only days that that had been a problem, um, and it had just been it had just got a little bit too much that last little five days um, into Tromsø. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we'll maybe come back to talk about the project more in depth uh, later on, but maybe it's a good point for you to reflect three years later, maybe you can just give us a, a brief insight into how you're feeling about that now. How I feel about the overall project or the cycle? Uh, 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 both. Um, overall project, uh, I feel like it was probably one of the most ambitious things that I'd attempted um, to this point. I think all in, including the film that's still in progress and seems to uh, occupy a lot of my headspace at the moment and when I'm not at work um, it's something that I've struggled to face actually because <clears throat> as I was explaining to you before the it makes me paradoxically jealous of myself that I'm not doing something like that you know and I'm sitting in a room you know in the middle of summer for example working on it this week 
um, and I'm sitting watching myself doing something that I wish I was doing, you know. And so it kind of makes me a bit sad and annoyed and jealous, and it's, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. Um, the other question to do with how I feel about the thing, uh, the, the trip itself, I could never conceptualize it as one single thing. I, I really, that, that was something that, like it's so, it sounds so flippant and so monumental to say, flippant and monumental at the same time to say, oh, a cycle two and a half thousand kilometers. But every, it's such a cliche, but like every small mundane aspect of that was like it was a sum total, you know, or, or however you would phrase that. Um, so I find it very hard to, to conceptualize and visualize it as a single thing still even after all this time, it's not been like archived and shelved in my mind yet. Um, still very much unresolved. In fact, this might sound like a bit of a silly thing to talk about, but I kind of feel a bit like Bilbo Baggins, you know, when he's just always wanting to go back to the elves, you know, and go and see the elves one more time. And the other thing it made me think of was Lost, the TV program, you know, when they all get like sent, when they all get off the island, maybe like yeah. Series 3 or something, and yeah. they're all meeting up in like weird places like, car parks and yeah. you know meeting for coffee in normal places yeah. and then they're like we've got to get back to that island yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I, I feel like that as well Stuart so. is alcoholic Matthew Fox what <laughs> yelling at uh, the much more famous actress now alcoholic in a car park yelling we have to go back Kate. I thought you we have to alcoholic go back. now <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Jack, Jack in Lost was uh, was I think very alcoholic, yeah. uh, driven to that by the trauma of the of the island. Um, but we are drinking uh, 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 outside in Scotland. Um, yeah, the project you did for us—you've talked about it being very ambitious, mm. but you have worked on quite ambitious projects throughout your artistic career. Uh, how did can you tell us maybe a little bit about your other works and how you got into art? Yeah, um, well, thanks for saying that because I think that I have always tried to. Maybe it's not been ambitious in a like a, a global sense, but it's been ambitious compared to what I did previously. So I think this very much builds on stuff that I started doing maybe about well, it'll be twelve years now um, when I did the first trip to on my bike when well, I did the first artwork that involved my bike 2010 <clears throat> what I did then was I was involved with a group of artists in the Netherlands called Slurkunst which translates roughly as dragging your art or you know and they were all using caravans and stuff like that as well and so you know you, you sit there and you think about all these ideas and all the sort of smart and cute ways that you can do stuff in actual fact the only thing that really made any sense to use my bike in the work was actually just to get on and ride it, you know what I mean, and go somewhere with it. And I think the thing that typified that was that I had a studio on Duke Street and I, um, round about that time, and I would cycle from Johnson to Glasgow and probably... Footnote this number one. Bit, the distance reach, between Duke Street, like Glasgow and Johnson is approximately 14 miles. According to Google Maps, it would take someone cycling one hour and 15 minutes to do this journey. And probably, this might sound a little bit like an overreach, but I did feel like the majority of the thinking space that I did was while I was sitting on the bike, riding into the studio rather than when I was there. I sort of was there and I would like look at the map of where I just cycled and like maybe plan on our route home or something like that, you know. And, and then I had tried to make little artworks um, 
using the bike, little performance pieces, little um, sort of action pieces that I would do. Um, and then, as I say, I, I, I decided that based on working with these artists in the Netherlands, that the only thing that made sense was to kind of ride my bike over and I would sort the rest out when I was on the bike or when I got there type thing. So I proposed that to them. They thought that was a decent idea. And then I decided that I would cycle down to Newcastle, get the boat over to uh, Imauda and then go to Utrecht, which is where that was all based. But in the back of my mind, and I never told anybody this at the time, I was thinking, well, I'll go down like towards Dumfries and if I feel good, I'll no cut across to Newcastle. I'll keep going. And then if I, and then if I'm, see how I feel and then I'll maybe cut across and go to um, Hull and then go to Rotterdam if I'm feeling like I'm doing a wee bit too much and then if I'm feeling good then I'll keep going and I'll go to is it Harwich and then I'll get Hook Van Holland, uh, Hook of Holland or whatever it's called and then in the end I crossed at Dover and then went up through Belgium and uh, the north of France, Belgium and Holland and then that kind of set the stage for future projects because while I was in Belgium on that trip some ideas had come to mind and I'd went to a place called uh, Passchendaele which is famous for a battle in the First World War and it turned out that my great, talking to my dad, my great-grandfather had been shot there in the First World War and I was sitting there just kind of having a little look about and eating, eating some lunch and read this panel on one of the, the trench sort of visitor sites and it said that there was an, a continuous network of trenches that went from the North Sea to the, the sort of Swiss border. And I just sort of imagined a single, I know it's a bit romantic of a, an idea, um, but I did kind of imagine that there was this temporary borderline. And so eventually that became the basis for an art project. And then the, that was kind of born out of different things. But when I did the one in US and then thinking about what I was going to do with US, it had become more of a kind of pilgrimage type thing that I was doing, or maybe a kind of space for myself, a transition space. Like when I went up to US, cycling there was so that I didn't just get on the city link and end up in, you know, Oog and then over to US and suddenly you're one one morning you're in Glasgow and then the next you're in like the most remote place, one of the most remote places in Scotland. And so it was a way to try and break down that, that <clears throat> excuse me, that transition. So, yeah. You also studied your, uh, for your master's in Dundee, probably maybe a little bit after, or maybe just a little bit before this time. And you were, cycling was still, if I remember correctly, a part of your practice then, but it yeah. was slightly different. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about about uh, that and how cycling also, and how that also plays into other, uh, what would be the words, other ideas or other uh Conceptual concerns. I can't think of something less wanky to say, so we'll say conceptual concerns. Conceptual concerns of cycling and more. No, no, no. What I was meaning, like, so, okay, I'll stop beating around the bush because I know you were, uh, obviously, you're working at, at like Deliveroo mm -hmm. at the time, for example. And yeah. You were, you, I don't know how serious you were about it when you, maybe you were just joking, but you were talking about it maybe as being a kind of a performance as well. Yeah. Um, and you also had a lot of jobs where mm -hmm. you'd, you'd do the jobs, but you would, but you conceptualize the jobs that you were doing, for example, in the, in the, in the factory, for example, yeah, yeah. as being a, a, a performance of sorts. So maybe you want to reflect on yeah. uh, cycling and, and labor here in your, in your practice. So I remember when, uh, when the prospect of the job with delivery came up and I thought that's perfect because I'm interested in cities and places and 
how we interact with place and then it's also cycling so and then it's money as well that i can get and working for deliveroo at that time was one of the the most bizarre experiences that you could imagine um you began to understand patterns of consumption within the city let's say um so for example i'll give you a silly example so people who lived in say like nine wells area like up that end of town would at one minute to uh, to 10 o'clock they would order a whole carry out for like a, a night because they must have had maybe i always imagined that there was maybe two or three of them they'd bought like a six pack of beer thought we'll have one or two of these we'll have a game of fifa or whatever and then they're like wow this is pretty good you know let's uh <laughs> but we're not going to make the off license let's just put in an order on some idiot will have to cycle out from uh, so I would be standing at the an off license otherwise known as an offy is somewhere you can buy alcoholic beverages from, uh, so i would be standing at the mcmanus galleries with all the other guys and one of us would always get pinged just at like one minute past ten yeah and you would get with delivery you had to order food with uh, what you were what you were buying so you people would order like one bowl of nachos you know yeah, 199 yeah. nachos cheapest thing and the yeah. thing and then like 24 bottles of you know whatever brew dog had yeah. and then you would have to cycle like four miles out to nine wells yeah. or whatever or sometimes it was the other way out towards a broth road um but yeah the little little weird things like that you also did it in st andrews as well um and you would have uh students mostly ordering stuff from say nando's and then you never found out the address until after you accepted the order and then when you looked at the address it was like wait that's only like two doors up and then you go two doors up and we always used to think what how lazy do you have to be to order food and have somebody go and get it for you to take it two doors up yeah. but it turned out they were all getting vouchers from the unions and stuff like that so they were using these vouchers and then so, so it was just quite revealing in a sense you know um and at first like at first when they never there wasn't a market for it in dundee and basically when i did the masters at that time and there was something like six months went by where there was almost no work and so we'd either sit in Rose Angle Cafe during the day and then brew dog at night, except at the weekends, and we'd kind of deal with the people as long as we got the odd coffee or whatever, you know, they would let us sit. But I did most of my, my masters sitting in brew dog in Dundee and Rose Angle Cafe across the road for the art school. Um, I can tell you about how you're paid or how I was paid, because initially when they were trying to get the market built, they just onboarded hundreds of people. They had, you know, maybe. 30 or something but everyone was paid six pound an hour plus one pound per delivery and then you get tips if the people put tips in the app so in essence when you're sitting about doing nothing i.e in rose angle or in a uh, brew dog i mean i wrote my two mss there for example and did quite a lot of wee drawings and stuff like i was getting six quid an hour for doing nothing and i was maybe doing like I would just do a whole day, even though, and I would duck into lectures and stuff, and you could log out. At that time, they were quite lenient with logging in and out and stuff like that. And so you could log out and go to the toilet, log out and have a quick break, you know, but I think you could be logged out for some like 15 minutes. Can't remember exactly. But then what they started to do was they started to shift the model, and it was less of an hourly wage, and it would become more of a, um, it was per delivery. So then the incentive shifted for you to do more work. Um, but you could make more money. And so that was quite good um, because that was round about when they shifted this all onto that model, because they basically gave you the option and some people went straight away. 
and you know other people didn't i resisted it for as long as possible because i was still doing the masters and it was kind of even though it was a little bit less per hour i was still guaranteed a bit of money um and so the in the end up um when i was doing it in st andrews when i finished the masters course um i would sometimes make like 120 quid a day um because it was just the the st andrews was perfect it's tiny there's lots of restaurants there's lots of quite you know good customers like regular customers and um, a lot of students um you didn't have a lot of time you didn't have to cycle too far out do you know the caravan park in st andrews like that's like the furthest you would have to go um but then latterly uh what happened is i actually dislocated my knee um at christmas 2000 and that would be 17 and so i was off they took the the hospital and whatever said that i had to have six weeks off um, so I notified Deliveroo about that and basically they didn't like it when people were off for any reason and if your account was inactive then you would you would effectively get binned so it was kind and they always got away with it in my mind it was always a little bit like because it's an app it was a computer game that you earn money from you know what I mean like really it was um, and, and I remember talking to you about this in Dundee um, and that day you came up to the Masters show and maybe talking about how it was a bit like a computer game and it, it made me think of paperboy you know and that there would be there could be some kind of like mod on paperboy to but anyway i'm digressing there um yeah so like and when you mentioned there about the seeing the jobs as performance i don't think that was quite how i, how I felt about it but i think i remember saying well I, I don't think i remember i'd remember saying this that it, after having the the RSA on side and the residents. Footnote three. RSA is an acronym for Royal Scottish Academy. That I was kind of like back to square one a little bit in terms of like, you know, I moved, I'd left a job that I was doing. Because um, obviously, as we know, you're, you've always got two or three things on the go. Um, and that can maybe lead into the way that things are now for me. But um, I remember after that RSA um, residency that I was looking for a job and I got a temporary job in the shortbread factory and you know people would ask me what I was up to after and you know you're meeting people in Edinburgh at nice galleries all well dressed and stuff and you didn't want to tell them that you're working in a shortbread factory I'm only kidding um, <laughs> so I, I sort of I had this sort of little joke that oh, I'm doing a residency in a shortbread factory but I think that was that sounds pretentious and a bit arrogant but at the same time I think I've always been quite concerned with how like where real life stops and where art life begins and so you know whilst I was being a bit of a tool with that let's say I think it was also there was a bit of honesty there as well you know um, and certainly I remember because the, the the main thing that I made as a result of the shortbread factory was some little bronze sculptures of the actual shortbread um, I made them at SSW and it was funny because on the machines you would see that they had the die cut and it was and it looked like it was it was actually beautiful you know it was like this roller die thing that had maybe six or seven petticoat tail shortbreads carved into it and then that would roll them out onto the thing so i, I took the the positive and then made my own uh negative of that and then made positives again and they became like wee monuments to working in the like the shortbread factory so 
if 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 the job became a performance, then you were off. You were also performing the the precarity in a way, but except you were also not performing it because you. But were, I don't think you know, the jobs. Really but the jobs were jobs. I yeah. don't think I ever day to day thought of them as performances or anything. Yeah. And I think the 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 reason that this has maybe come up is because of what I said about the shortbread factory and how I felt like just as a wee one liner that it was like a residency. Um, but you know what what I'm really maybe uh, getting to with that is that just now I'm working in a school um, and you know when I worked in the comic shop and you can you can probably without it being so conscious you will be influenced by the things that you're surrounded with so a lot of the time you know at the moment well over the last couple of years what I've been doing um, because of through teaching I've been, div I don't know how to say this, like the work that I'm doing in my teaching, the outcomes for that have almost been like artworks in themselves. So remember the little diorama thing that I made of me cycling um, in Sweden? Now that's actually like something that I made for school, but where's the boundary line between that being something I've made for myself or something I've made that I can then say, right, this is um you know a teaching tool as well so that 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 connection has become quite um solidified let's say because i've always believed that and i've only realized this latterly because i think there's quite a strong connection between my own learning in life in a wider sense and artwork so i kind of feel like i've learned about the world and i mean that's almost so obvious and dumb to say in a sense but you know anytime you sit down and do a drawing it's like to understand something etc etc but i feel like that's how i've approached teaching learning and and artwork and i feel like it's a triangle in some way that um yeah yeah i i i i got the yeah the joke thing about a what's the best way to put it the residency in the shortbread factory and almost coming out of this maybe uh, yeah there's, there's maybe something about where you're a few years out of art school and you maybe you're kind of in a weird place like for example maybe that was around the time that you you know you'd exhibited in that big uh, what was it called the big fucking thing in 2012 or 2013 generation oh yeah generation you know, the most significant yeah. artists of like you know the last 50 years <laughs> yeah. scotland and fucking stuart who did, i turn up to the nsa and who's fucking exhibiting stuart mcadam footnote number like, four you, you know Generation was a nationwide survey exhibition program held in Scotland in 2014, showcasing the work of contemporary Scottish artists. The most, yeah, a bit, a completely bizarre. And it's like, how do you, you know, how do you top that? You know, was like that's that's the pinnacle of, of probably some somebody's career to be curated into a, an exhibition about the most important art being made in Scotland in the last 50 years or whatever. A survey of contemporary art in Scotland, yeah. as we understand contemporary art. And then there you are working as a, like a, you know, yeah. working in a fucking shortbread factory. You know well, what it's I mean? Funny. It's funny because, um, when, what was I working? No, in fact, that was when I worked in the car park because it, that exhibition coincided with the Commonwealth Games, yeah. right? And that was in 2014 in Glasgow. Um, in Scotland, basically, but um, you know the the exhibition was all all round. But the RSA had chosen one person from their new contemporaries program, and uh, to do like a kind of so they picked me and Johnny, um, 
Ernesto. Oh God, all their names escape me. Anyway, so they'd picked um, one person from each of the, the, the new contemporary years. And um, and that was when I worked on the Commonwealth Games. So I was like cycling back and forward to the like Silverburn car park to stand on it. Remember I told you about this? Yeah. This guy with the stereophonics. Yeah. That story that just yeah. can never... It can never have the same gravity that it did the first time I told you. Um, but anyway, do you remember this, Ruth? Not we were sitting in that, what was it, that cinema place in Tromso? Yeah, the yeah. And and there was just this really ridiculous. I didn't want to talk about this today because it's, <laughs> it's. I can't. I've I've tried to write this story down, and it never will have the same weight that it had that day that I told you because you were gutting yourself, and I was gutting myself. But then we told you, and you were just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think we were just too excited about how funny it was. Anyway, so I was working in the Commonwealth Games with, and I was on it. It was job seekers um, type job, and at the time, round about that time, I was doing quite a lot of freelance work. I was finishing off stuff with Devon Arts. Um, I was doing some stuff with Stirling Uni, um, and I gave a couple of talks there. And the what ended up happening was that I was I was signing on because. Should I explain what signing on is? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Like when you're unemployed in the UK, you can sign on, and you basically the reason I was doing it was to make sure that I was still continuing to pay my national insurance because they make your national insurance contributions for you. Um, now, I wasn't getting any money because I lived at the time with my partner, and um, and our combined wages were over the threshold, so it was very token um, signing on. But it opened up quite a few opportunities because the. They, they would often have um, situations where they required a bit of labour, excuse me, for like building site or, you know, this Commonwealth Games thing. And they would just hire people en masse to go and work. So I got like four weeks work out of this um, at the Commonwealth Games. So I'm standing in Silverburn Car Park. Direct, I wasn't even directing people. It was basically you were a scarecrow. Right, because then the guy actually, the, the training guy actually said something quite profound at the time, or I thought it was profound. He said, "Oh, it's just about presence. It's just so that it's just so that the people who are driving from one part of the car park see a high vis jacket and know they're still on the right <laughs> the right uh, road. And um, you don't have to point. You don't have to do anything. Um, and I ended up it, again. I made a kind of. I don't even know if this counts as a work, but because a lot of the I mean, you probably don't, you didn't know me at the time when I did this, but I actually did an exhibition years and years ago and I called it work and non-work because I, I've always struggled with this kind of boundary line between what is one of my artworks, in inverted commas, and what is something that I just did. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I drew a little map one day just for my own pleasure, whatever. But um, one of the things I did while I was there, because I was standing in the same bit of grass all day, I started to, like, wear away the... The, the, the grass and it became quite muddy um, and so it made me think of Richard Long you know like walking back and forward in the grass so there was a line made by walking and so I ended up I took a picture of this like bald bit of grass and called it Stoner right? <laughs> which I'm not going to explain what a Stoner is um, if you don't know or if you know you know um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, the yeah so again it's another thing about these sort of like little things with work and in, in, in artwork, but yeah, it was it was kind of. But it's it's always it's kind of humbling as well because you know, at the weekend I went through to the RSA exhibition because it ran all summer. I think it was eight weeks or six weeks, something like that. And uh, 
I was through there with my mum and stuff like that. And there was a guy um, watching one of the videos and I had I always wear that blue jacket, you know, that blue jacket I've got. And uh, I was standing in the gallery wearing the blue jacket and there was a video of me playing with the blue jacket on and there was this guy kind of kept looking over at me and looking at the video and looking over at me and then he kind of looked pointed and then pointed at the video and I gave him the thumbs up <laughs> and uh, and he just kind of like laughed you know it was just it was almost surreal as well yeah. um so no, it, was, it, was, it was good fun I liked it. I liked doing that exhibition because that exhibition was one I mean you've seen it didn't you and it, yeah. and it was in the cabinets so it was a chance to uh, what I tried to make a new work for that at the time and it didn't really make any sense. You know you know that sort of feeling you get sometimes when you're just like, ah, that, try to put a square peg in a round hole here. And one of the things was that um, with that, it made more sense to look at it like a museum of all the work I'd done and to try and weave a narrative and uh, through it all with the, with the little uh, fly sheet or free sheet or whatever you call it, fly sheet, that's your tent. Um, you know, the free sheet that you get. Um, so... Yeah, there was. It made more sense to do that, but that was actually really useful for me because, as we know, putting all your work out in a big space is actually massively useful. But it was good as well from the point of view of how it related to my family or how my family ended up talking about that. My mum and my dad were very complimentary about that because I think for once they seen how it all interlinked, and so it became a little bit like, oh, he's away doing this or he's trying that or whatever. And it, don't know what he's up to you know but then when they seen it all laid out like my dad had said st some nice stuff about it you know and that was quite good to hear so yeah yeah that's very nice it's very nice yeah no i think it really quite naturally brings us on to just thinking about failure particularly these um maybe i'm coming at it from the wrong direction now because i'm going into failure in industrial level <laughs> but i'm just thinking of that uh that feeling of like success yeah the sort of career high uh or just like the rsa being a this like rubber stamp of what success looks like for an artist while simultaneously you're signing on or you're doing these weird jobs which again are potentially seen as being failures or potentially depending on how you frame them i'm just wondering how you reflect on that idea of like how we succeed well i think fail. as well i don't my expectation i think it's about context right my expectation with all of this was very low you know i didn't i didn't have any ambition to to be like an artist with a capital a you know and, and all that kind of stuff when i when i left school uh i went to, to i had a job in safeway for about five years and and it was one of these kind of things where it was like, oh, I wish I'd gone to art school or I'd like to go to art school and you could kid yourself on and, you know, that you're going to do it. And then um, the application comes around for the college course and whatever and you kind of make an excuse and, you know, oh, I've not got a folio ready and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it tried a few different things and it never really worked. And, and I, feel, I feel quite regretful about not applying myself more at that time um but you know it's easy to look back what well, that was like 15 20 years ago so it's easy to look back and, and criticize yourself um but i do i feel i feel like in terms of failure i wasn't i wasn't succeeding with what my ambition was so maybe that's a, an important thing to, to i'm just looking at the birds because they're getting really close um 
Anyway, but you know, with the level of expectation, when I did go, when eventually when I did go to Dundee to art college, it was very much like, do you know what? I've got in. I'm going to do this, and if all I've ever achieved by doing this is I went to art school, then that's all I can say. You know, that's it. That's the end of it. And I just made one kind of like wee daft rule to myself: once I leave art school. I'll do anything but work in a supermarket. You know, like I've just moved away from that type of thing. And, I, and bizarrely, I ended up working again in uh, Lidl um, for a little while. Um, but, you know, so it wasn't a hard and fast rule, particularly a, a, like a, a definite deal breaker. But, you know, just having, I think when you're at your question there about uh, what is failure and, and relating being in a job and doing these things, mm. it, like everything that I've ever done has been a bonus you know because you need a job anyway you know what i mean and uh yeah i've never i never really seen it like that like um even though i joked about it in the shortbread factory for example i never like i never like i i didn't enjoy that job particularly but not to talk more about it but i was on the production line for a long time maybe eight weeks and it it, it made me realize that i'm not the kind of person who can carry out a repetitive task that doesn't require me, that doesn't require any problem solving. So see, as soon as I get moved to the, the other department and it was called cooling or the cooler, that was the job title. And what you had to do was the stuff would come out of the ovens, you had to cool it, but it, then you had to cool it in an order that would keep the production line going on. So even just having that tiny little real time problem, like a real time strategy game, always having like that someone would come up to me and they'd be like, right, we're running low on fingers. When are the fingers going to be ready for the, the production line? And you had to just solve a, a small problem. And so, like, it never felt like a bad job. You know, it was just, like, not suited to me in that sense of, like, doing something repetitive over and over again. Um, but, yeah, the expectation that I had when I left art school and was very low, not in a pessimistic or a negative way it was just like well i don't expect to get anything from this and so everything's always been like oh, i've always approached things with quite a kind of positive kind of feel and like all right okay i'll give this a go and not been um i've worked in lots of different spaces so done like gallery shows and done um stuff with the cca initially when, and did a lot of like pop-up stuff with all the other all the gang that were graduating that year and then tenors and you know neil and i did stuff together and footnote five Tinners refers to Tin Roof, an artist studio collective in Dundee, which started in 2010. You know, Neil and I did stuff together and we did the comic and all that kind of stuff as well. So, you know, never really having any, I think keeping your expectations in check allows you not to um, feel bad about when you don't hit that point. If you know what I mean, then you're just kind of, not that you're just kind of grateful for whatever scraps are thrown in your way. I don't know if that really addresses your question. Because I'm just I'm interested in like generally how we think about failure in or how we think about success or ambition in regards to having an art yeah, career. I, th I think that with, when you yeah. look at the art world as this kind of like homogenous blob, yeah. and it's almost as if there's this kind of like one thing that if you're doing that, then that's successful. And I kind of feel like there's tons of people that as you say that people you'll not even know are doing stuff they'll be working at say i don't know a place like hospital field and they'll be doing some really interesting work in the creative learning department you know so that it'll be an applied 
kind of success or a, a, an applied use of the the skills that we have and so because one of the things that so i think there's, there'll be hundreds of people doing that kind of stuff um and it's maybe just not like your you know your sort of um your you know what would you call it like your markers like you're mentioning like rsa um i mean i don't you talked a lot you mentioned something about how do you top that and then that's how i feel about like how do i top you're only as good as your last thing and i kind of feel like to a certain degree i've not really done much since i've done this project with you is because i've been well been, been teaching but we've also had covid we've also had all the the disruption to stuff and actually the next thing that i was going to do was going to be this summer um but it's been put on hold because I've just moved, obviously, and I, well, actually, I've got no money to do it. That's basically the, <laughs> that's basically the bottom line. Um, so I've shelved it for until next year. But you know, I think as you get older, as well, you have a different kind of perspective on the, the length of time between things or as things happen. And you know, I always, I sort of said to myself when I left art school, I'd be like, what well, do like one good thing a year? You know, like that, that'd be good. And then that's like realistic. It's also not, you know, it's not too ambitious, but anything above that is, you know, you, you'll get more than that, you know? So yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but what you said there as well about um, the markers, let me just think. So actually, one thing that I do think, because obviously, like when I decided that I was going to become a teacher as such, um, and I was going to go down that road, to me that was like the that was like a natural. There was staging posts to that that I can see in retrospect that were happening anyway. So as I was doing projects with like Deverin, for example, and doing other things in Eust, then there was like small things that involved a kind of educational or a workshopy type thing. And then latterly, when I was doing that MFA, I was working in the McManus Gallery doing a little, um, it was a creative learning uh, project there. Um, and so, you know, when when it all fell apart with the Deliveroo thing, not that I was planning and doing that long term, it was just kind of like, what am I doing? You know, I've just done that. And the reason I'd done the Masters was in fact, to kind of get myself back into that kind of slightly more academic sphere um, with a view to maybe getting into the uni a bit more and doing a bit more, you know, work there. But, you know, and, and I did a couple of things, but it wasn't really much to write home about. But then what, what ended up happening was that I remember sitting down one day and sort of saying, every single, like, 
successful if we want to use that term artists that we know like you know all the people that are actively doing projects in scotland anthony ross sinclair tracy mckenna edwin Footnote, and all, you know, like number all six all got, like, the anthony referred to here is almost certainly anthony Schrag. the edwin mentioned here is edwin jansen the collaborative partner of tracy mckenna they've all got like full-time education jobs that just happens to be in a university you know and so i know that teaching in secondary school is quite a different prospect but the amount of backlash that i got from pals that were like basically saying what would you want to do that for type attitude because i think there is this perception amongst people who become secondary school teachers that you're failing at being an artist and it's like well what can i do with this daft degree i've got i've got do you know what I mean? And I think that's so wrong in so many levels. But, you know, don't get me wrong, there are people that I've met and worked with that, that you get the sense that, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be negative, I'm just trying to be realistic about this. You do get the sense that they're looking for a bit of validation as artists through their teaching practice. And I remember sitting down to myself and saying, right, when they criticise the way you've drawn this for an example for a kid or the way you're explaining this to kids that are, you know, 11 to 15, 16, and they tell you you're being too pretentious, they tell you you're, you're, you're expecting too much, it's no fun enough. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, I'm, apart from all the daft jokes aside, yeah. I'm, like, desperately serious about art. You know what I mean? Like, and I often joke about that because I remember, you know, Ross through, and I remember one time um, he was sort of like asking me some stuff, and you'll punch me for saying this, um, but I remember he was uh, sort of saying some stuff, and I remember I turned around and I was like, How can you doubt my commitment? I literally cycled to Holland and back. Do you know what I mean? And to, to you, I am committed to this artwork. Anyway, uh, this artwork game. Anyways, the um, yeah, I do think there's something. I remember saying to myself, I, I can't take that personally, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm just here to do a job and these are the skills I've got. And so, but I remember saying to a lot of people, and it was a lot of people in the, um, in the sort of, the realm that we're talking about, you know, that we, all the people we know. And, you know, quite, quite legitimately, I think it's a legitimate thing to think about. Are you doing this? You're copping out, you not selling out, it's a bit of an easy thing to say, but I don't think it's... A right thing to say are you just taking an easy road are you giving up you know and and i never ever seen it like that at all it it almost seemed like the logical conclusion to all of the the social engagement stuff i don't like that term but you know the social engagement type artwork that you get the way that it's about co-participation the way it's about collaborative working the way it's about shared goals yeah i, I think but serious art as well, you know, because I think that that's the, that's the thing that distinguishes the social engaged art. It's got pretension to be still regarded as serious art, for better or worse. I don't know if that's particularly a good thing, but, you know, and I feel like, I feel like when you're talking about failure, job, life, and how those things triangulate and come together, perhaps that's, um, that's worth mentioning as well. Like getting involved in this has been, it's, it's made me a better artist. Like it's made me way better artist because it's a cliche as well. But if you are teaching something, you've got to know it. You know what I mean? Like you've just got to know it. And 
my drawing skills, for example, have like I've done more drawing in four years of because including the training and the three years I've done. Oh wait, is it three? No, it's three. Is it? I can't even remember. Graduated just as we uh, yeah. So that was so I've done three years. This is the end of the third year. Aye, can't even count. Yeah. The irony in this one is just that the only thing that I was lacking in terms of paperwork and qualification to become a teacher in Scotland was not five maths. <laughs> and I had to sit. In fact, I did at Aberdeen Uni. Um, I had to sit and do this online course in maths. Um, summer 2018, downloaded the whole thing onto my computer and then sat in Starbucks and Johnson and just rattled through it as quick as I could. Yeah. I actually got a hundred percent in the in the exam and I and there was a que there was an ambiguous question about arcs. So I solved both of them yeah. and I wrote a little note saying I wasn't sure whether I was to do one or the other and they wrote back saying thanks for that bit of feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 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 Good job. I still can't account to three. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, and just maybe then will bring us more concretely to failure. So, like, failure was a big part, or it's a big part of the project, and it's in the name. I can't actually remember if it was something we talked to you that, like, I really can't recall if we talked to you about it at all. But how did you, um, was it something that you thought about in the process of producing, like, coming up, or while you're on residency with us? Or is it something that you thought about at all? Do you have your own personal philosophy of failure? Um, it's not something that I thought about on with regards to project. I felt like that was where your realm was in terms of the collaboration and that. Um, you know, obviously, failure, understanding, care, and kunst. It's a holistic statement. Um, and I feel like that, you know, because you, you obviously, we, we talked briefly about what we're going to talk about today. Um, the other day um, and I did think about this and I, I feel like overall when, when it comes to failure it's about learning and if you if you just take the, the, the word right okay I'm going to cycle to Tromso so if I didn't make it there then I failed to arrive in Tromso on my bike right but you know what if I had a catastrophic failure six miles outside of Tromso you know, you've still done the most of it. You've you've learned from it, and it and it's contextual. So I think you can be really harsh on yourself regarding failure, but I think learning is the key thing about it. So quite often, the thing I mean, it's another cliche, um, but the things that you failed at are often the things that are most valuable for reflecting on in a learning way, and then moving on to the next thing. So you know, everything that I've done. Has had an element of failure in it. I mean, I, I, it almost has to, in order to learn. So I think everything has to have an element of failure in it. Otherwise, you're not. You're. You would. It makes me think of 
Slash from Guns N' Roses and how he's, people were like, oh, Sweet Child of Mine, you know, like, best track ever, and like, you must love that. And he's like, I've never listened to it since I recorded it. Because if I was so concerned with what I made last year, then I would be content and I would never make anything next year, you know, or this year. So it's, I feel like it's inbuilt. But do I feel like, I didn't, I don't think that there was much in my mind about failure. I mean, I was scared of failing mm. in terms of like not reaching there. And there was a couple of times that, you know, psychologically, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, I've spoke to you a number of times en route, um, and I probably spoke to my mum as well a number of times and said things like, I'm done, like, I can't, I need a day off or something. Yeah. But, you know, you just sort of brush yourself down, solve the problem that, you know, whether it's saddle problem or, you know, I had a couple of bike issues or losing the camera or whatever. And, yeah. and then you just sort of start again and, on so i don't know if that particularly answers your question i mean i mean just just to sort of follow up there i think what's really interesting about that project is that cycling up to the arctic circle um there's a very distinct goal at the end of it right there's a very distinct clear marker of the success of the project and it was literally to cycle so, so there's something very very easy about yeah. that in terms of understanding failure and success and i think there is that maybe you want to reflect on this as, as well or i leave it open for you to reflect on this but obviously i know when you, but for me as soon as you arrived it was like okay that's that's it like yep. that's that that's the artwork you don't need to do it you can just sit on the beach yep well you know maybe it'd be quite difficult it rains a lot but you know you can, yeah. that was the artwork for me yeah, uh, I think two things on in in response to that. One, yes, I hundred percent agree with you with with that, um, but only in retrospect. I don't think I thought that at the time. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to try and like do something else while I was there. When in actual fact, I admit, my, and I was, I'm, I don't think I'm dreading telling you this, but my over, like, I was so tired. Like, I, it doesn't even. It almost seems so obvious. Yeah. I was just exhausted, like mentally and physically exhausted. I'd lost 15 kilograms on that trip. Yeah. Um, and remember the day that I went, I don't know if you remember this, but I ate two tubs of ice cream in one day and I was still hungry. And I was like, oh, I was ravenous. Yeah. I could have eaten and eaten and eaten. And obviously these are all just like things. Yeah. But I don't think that, I don't, I think the you know setting out to maybe write something up and then doing the kind of short presentation yeah. that I did yeah. was in retrospect fair you know it was like probably couldn't have expected to have done much yeah. more than that I think that it was a research trip in a sense as well like it's part performance action in and of itself it's part research for new things there are a number of I mean I've got like a I've got a Kanban board on my wall you know a Kanban board does it's just like a project management tool. And um, and basically, it's got like a whole host of artworks that are to be made as a result of this. And, you know, really at the end of the day, what I did when I was there was what I did when I was there. And it's difficult to get back into that headspace. And I think if you recall, we talked a lot, like, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but we talked to death a lot of these ideas of like, you know, materials and, you know, the, the materiality of things and the the processes and all the things that you get involved in and again it was like one of those things where it was just a reductive um the only thing that makes sense is to talk about these materials that i have with me because ultimately the relationship 
I'm not I'm not sentimental about objects and my relationship to objects, but as I remember saying at the time, and as I still feel, like that camera, it's no a camera, it's no a Canon, whatever it is, it's my Canon. Do you know what I mean? And you can yeah. snip that, it's my Canon yeah. um, for like the tag. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's no a GoPro, it's my GoPro. It's not a bike, it's not a Ridgeback Velocity 19 inch frame, it's my Ridgeback Velocity. Do you know what I mean? Like that bike sits in my kitchen. That jacket's in, I don't think that jacket's in my car. But, you know, like I still use all this stuff. And, and it's weird that, like it's got this sort of aura attached to it because it was part of that trip. But it's also, you know, remember when I was telling the stories of like, the camera and how the first person I took a picture of on it was Neil and that was before we'd even done any of the work together and so it feels special but again are you just sentimentalizing it maybe but it was about the story of I mean I've, I'm having to buy a new camera now because I haven't replaced that one because it broke remember when I was up and uh, but at the same time like you know I'll, if I buy one tomorrow I'll not buy another one for 10 years so like the amount of consumption that I'm using is probably still quite small you know given that I, I, let's just even think about that camera we bought it in 2012 neil and i we did he's done a couple of projects with it and i've done a couple of, i mean it's got like a lot of use and it's so out of date now you know like a 10 year old camera in this day and age is like you know may as well just like quickly taking drawings down as you're walking about you know <laughs> that this trip has maybe been quite bad for your art practice and i know you don't like that 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 term because it seems like it's it, 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 it seems like it maybe as you, one grows older you know that you can't undertake these mammoth cycling trips perhaps like mm -hmm. the body will start to break down no doubt. And maybe when you see like you know you get to the pinnacle or whatever but also just well yeah yeah my knees are going <laughs> You know, I, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like it sounds like you, you feel like you've maybe been stuck as well, and and, and like these objects have become this, uh, like uh, I don't want to say sacred objects or whatever, but maybe, but yeah, um, basically, yeah. Um, so I don't know. Do you think it's actually been detrimental in a way? You know what I mean? No, um, I don't, because I think things develop naturally in my world anyway. And let's just say, so if, let's just say that what you're saying is true. So since that, I've been sort of like to do the next thing and to, yeah. for it to top that, it would have yeah. to be eight weeks. And where am I going to get eight yeah. weeks and how am I going to fund that? Do you know what yeah. I mean? So then that becomes a chat. Like that, like that's not really relevant because, you know, even last year, and I don't know if this, if, again, I don't know if this really works as an artwork or whether it's just a thing that, yeah. but then I think as you get older, you naturally become a little bit more reflective. And so the, and I can, I can chart that in projects actually, because um, it, there was things like, even when I did the Devrin project, it was 2013. And there were artworks that I made from ideas that were, the Genesis was in while I was carrying out that project. Um, they were made only when I got the opportunity to do the RSA show. So I sat on things for quite a while, a lot of the time. One example, and I'll just tell you about this because it's, it's probably going to be the thing I work on. And again, like, okay, I've got three things to say. I'm going to just remember these. Funding and model. 
um, winter projects and time off, right? So obviously like one of the reasons I decided to, to get involved in the teaching thing was that it's a very steady job and having a permanent job like that with very set times off is quite good for me because, and just hear me out in this, see during the lockdowns, I was the least productive I've ever been in my life. And you would think that having unfettered, unrestricted time to just focus on what you want to do. And I've never, I've, it's taken me years to work this out and I was dreading it. And I was so glad to have my job at the time because it, when I was doing that job, I had daily tasks I had to do and stuff to rein me in. Because I'll just like, I'll go down rabbit holes with stuff that are totally un, unimportant or I will not be able to focus. And I'll be like, right, I'm going to read that book and that book and that book and play that computer game and watch those films and edit a film and, you know, go for a walk and go out my bike. And then I'm like, I do none of them because I've just, I've got all the time to do all of them, but I don't pick one and then I don't do it. And I'm sure there's, that that's pretty common. So like I do tend to sit in things, but the, it's good for me to have this structure. Um, because I find that I'm able to pick one or two things to do in a week, get them done, and then it sort of trundles over a, a bit more steadily. In terms of like uh, what we're saying about winter projects, that's when I can do stuff like that. That's when I'm maybe getting involved in doing it. Look at what I was doing last time was um, putting together some little drawings, um, sort of like what I, what I call the collection, um, where I've just got these sort of like drawings that I do. So I've got a big folder of them, some collage and stuff like that. Um, I haven't found a place to put them yet, really, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm sitting on that. The other thing is that as a result of the, one of the works that I'd like to make is a golf course, like a, a thingy, a crazy golf type golf course. Um, and so that's something that I'll just start working on. You know, I've drawn them all out and basically each one is like a, a country. So they've got like nine, I've basically got nine holes. So I've got like, uh, England and Scotland and it's like a big hill and down so I just I'll, I'll work in them but I'm getting a bit off track here but what I'm getting to is that having the time in the summer to do things is good as well um, and I would be doing I would be away doing something just now if I wasn't injured and also um, you know a bit um, money poor let's say I'm not you know it's just when I was off, I never got paid because um, I'd only started my job two days and then I injured myself, so you don't get that. But, you know, I'll live. The other thing I was going to say was to do with um, was to do with funding. The funding model that that you operated was perfect for me because it, it allowed me to do the things that, whereas I think in other contexts, there's this expectation of an outcome, whether it's an event, and that's fine because that's also motivating, you know, and it's good. But sometimes it can be a bit forced if it doesn't come together. So, you know, you take that with a pinch of salt, you move on and you reflect on it. And everything's a research thing. And I could be truly researchful, if I can use that word. Um, but additionally, like being beholden to other people. Like this, the way I am now actually feels more like the way it was when I just left art college. Because I was in control and I wasn't beholden to anybody. You know, whereas when you start, not that, and, and I'm and I'm not trying to like obviously funding and being paid and all that's essential. That's not what I mean. But it just it, the the dynamic of it's very different, and I'm actually quite content with the idea of 
just funding stuff myself and you know if something comes along that you want to do ironically i feel like can i say this i'll say this and then you can edit it out if it's not something that really should be said i always felt like the people who got more work were the ones who said no more if you know what i mean like the ones who didn't take the shitty offer you know like the whatever it happened to be whether it was the i don't know like a grand for two months work do you know what i mean or like those jobs those job models that you get where there's it's two days a week it's like two-year project obviously you're going to do more than two days a week do you know what i mean but you're getting paid at a rate that apl applies to two days a week and it looks good on paper but in theory you're tied to this thing that takes forever to do you don't get a lot of money and it interrupts your ability to go and make money elsewhere so i kind of live by this idea of like tell them i said no is is that something this idea you're talking about i'll just speak this idea you're talking about uh uh, of of um of this funding of of, of uh, I suppose being self self beholden as you would say mm -hmm. uh, is that something is that something you've learned from experience of like previous issues or, or like you've had or do you think that's just something that that you've just stumbled into by accident that kind of works for you. I mean, you learn as you go through things anyway, whether or not these things were issues, yeah. I, I would I would maybe not use that term. Um, you just learn that that model doesn't work for you or, you know, this one does. I quite like the, la uh, the don't want to say the lack of pressure, but yeah. There's a lot more opportunity because I, I find the same. I find really stifled by the idea of um, the funding process, particularly like I like running our own projects, but there's something about um, applying for funding. So you're getting ahead of yourself because you have to lay out your project before mm -hmm. you've even begun. Yeah. You do your project and then you have to succeed yeah. in terms of your like the funding obligations. And I think that can really stifle risk taking. It really limits. Like even if funders are maybe they're maybe in real, real terms very open, yeah. the the closeness of it and this sort of linear administrativeness of it. I know what you mean. So what what you're often asked to do, not in not actually asked, but it's sort of implicit or implied that you've taken a pre predict the outcome. And by pre-predicting the outcome, you narrow the parameters for any sort of like fluidity within it. And I think that that's how, that's why I've always struggled with that model. And that's why I always struggled with kind of writing artist statements as well, because I often found that you were kind of asked to write in the past tense about things that will have, were going to happen in the future. You know, particularly for funding, not maybe so much if you're talking about, but only with, and it's one of the things that I think, if you are at art college again, it would be useful to to know that the, it gets easier to write about your work when you've got a longer period of time to reflect upon, because then you can be very specific about things and, and narrow things down, um, rather than sort of talking about kind of vague, you know, um, just vagaries. You know, it's it's 
it's a, it's a funny process. But the idea of, like, I've never sought to control the outcome of what I've un went to go and do. So, like, you know, take the cycle to Tromso. Okay, I succeeded, but I did, you know, because I actually did get there. Um, but I didn't get there on the time that I proposed. It took me probably an hour, eight days or something than, than I expected or that I had predicted. Is that a failure? I mean, it's so relative that it doesn't mean anything to talk about it. But, I mean, I remember at the time thinking, geez, I'm only halfway up Sweden and they're expecting me on Saturday. And I felt like I was letting you down at the time. But then you quickly go over that because you're like, you know, I would have a conversation with you and I'm like, well, it's going to take me an hour week. You know what I mean? And then even like, probably as I got closer to uh, Finland and I had maybe about 400 kilometers to go, something like that. I think it was in Galavari or somewhere like that, I think you call it. And, and I remember thinking, because there's a train station there, I believe. Yeah. And I remember thinking, am I pushing my luck with this? Is it taking too long? Should I jump in the train for like a wee short section, you know, and just to, to, to catch myself up? But then that wouldn't have really been, and I remember you saying repeatedly when I was doing it, like, you know, don't, don't worry if you feel like you can't do it. If you need to get a bus, you need to get a train, you know, it's not a problem. And, you know, like, it would never have been a problem anyway. Like, it would just have become part of the project. And you can get quite tunnel vision about the metrics there. Um, but, yeah, I've never sought to control the outcome in what I'm doing. And, like, usually by working like that, that suits me because I just kind of, like, intuitively weave through things and, and whatever. But there's this kind of, like, associative way that I'll work in a sort of sideways way that kind of ties things up that are spiraling around in my head and then maybe I take a wee bit of that one day and a wee bit of that the next day um, and then sometimes that might mean oh, a wee watercolour or it might mean a video you know so that also is problematic for predicting outcomes um, when you're putting into a funding uh, context but you know you, you know that you know that that funding model works for some people when it works for some projects it just depends well like a lot of the time maybe the research is already done you know i know people just now who are doing um projects funded by uh, ace uh, arts council england and um and basically the it's been something that has been in, in progress or in process or whatever for years and it's just happens to come together and it's got it's ticked all the boxes and it's got it's got the range of experience and also the competency to do it because like if i'd have said to you if if i'd have said to you 10 years ago oh hey i'm going to cycle over you'd have been like what the fuck are you talking about you know but the fact is is that i'd done it three or four times before so even though it was ridiculous to propose it you were like i mean i'm just hypothesizing here but you're probably like he might actually do this. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a fair chance he might actually succeed at this. So then you're willing... But if you're... I'm just thinking about if you're looking at a funding thing, because this was something that I always struggled with when I was putting in funding applications, was your head's always, like, a project ahead of where you're at. But now you've... Now, collectively, at the, with um, all, all the stages that we're at, we've got evidence to back up the things that we're predicting we're going to do. And so there's probably a lot of patterns that are discernible so if I say in a funding application, I'm going to do this, that, next thing, I'm going to make a video. It might take me three years, uh -huh, but, um, you know, like, it will get done, you know? So I don't know. I don't know 
if I don't, I'm, I kind of feel quite a lot of relief from not having to worry about get the disconnection of the of artwork from the money that I require to live is a good thing in my mm. view. What is your biggest failure or biggest failures? Yeah. Yeah, I think because yeah, because I think you've you've always been talking about context and how success and failure is defined by context and, and learning. And sorry, and learning and learning. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe you wanted to flesh that out with a little bit something a little bit more concrete. Right. So, what's my biggest failure? Yeah. If you if there's a failure that you ha yeah maybe haven't learned from or hasn't been like adapted into this. Yeah, because it, it sounds like you've got quite like a strong uh, go with the flow. Yeah, I do. Relationship I, to failure. I actually can't. I find it very difficult to answer questions that are absolutes like that. And I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to to cop out of that question. But I don't. I kind of feel like my biggest failure is in progress right now because everything's still in progress. I mean. I can't look back in something without thinking, like, because I quite often do this where I'll, I'll sit and, like, you know, when I, when I hurt my foot recently and I'm sitting in a new house and a new place and I'm feeling sorry for myself, a couple of days in my work, do something stupid to my ankle, it was daft, and I'm sitting there in pain thinking, geez, what's going on, this is going to ruin everything, and then I'm like, how the hell did I end up here? in this exact spot and when I think through all the decisions I've made and all the things there's not really that many things that stand out as being like that was a catastrophic decision but I so I find it difficult to answer that I must admit I don't think that there's have I failed to capitalize on maybe momentum from the RSA shows or something like that perhaps have I not worked like take something local like the video for for this project or the film for that could I have been a bit more motivated than that possibly you know like so there, mm. there's there's wee things could that talk I gave that night in the caravan have been better because I was really nervous that night for example can an artwork ever be a failure no great not for me anyway I think again the things that I make I would say are the record of a process without sounding pretentious and so your process, yeah, okay, your process can be poor or, you know, not optimal, let's talk like that. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, I look at reflecting on teaching and the things that I do there with some of the kids I work with and they will immediately say, oh, fail, this is rubbish, what, tear it up, you know? And I'm like, no, use what you've done to tell you what to do next you know like just chill out it's not going in a museum yeah. it's something to learn from yeah. and and i think that that's how i view my own work and i think that like i've not struggled to to segue into a classroom environment like that because i feel like the the process is very similar yeah. it's like you know i'm standing there with a group of people we're doing something together very much feel like that like we're going to make this today we're going to make some clay pots or something this is how i would do it give it a go 
and then we all do it and then we talk about it afterwards and some are good some are bad it's about learning from your failures if you want to say it like that and and so it's been it, yeah i don't i don't think that it cannot meet the expectation that you put on it yeah. but to call an artwork a failure would be like who are you to say that about someone else's artwork do you think you can ever say that about somebody else's artwork would you say something shite i would have said something like that 20 years ago when i was hot-headed and responsive but i would probably say did you see how close that seagull was to me <laughs> i would probably say that nowadays i would be kinder but when you start talking about like has edinburgh council purchased that artwork and you can call that into yeah. question you know like yeah. you know like th those are different questions yeah i think i think i feel the same impulse as i grow older i grow kinder and i think we were reflecting on this ruth and myself i think that as you grow older when you experience art you're less inclined to be awe-inspired or you're less inclined to be blown away but you're also I find it by myself less likely to, to 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 really hate things of course I still do and I still find things and I've seen shows that I really detest and really dislike but I'm generally much kinder mm -hmm. and try and give the benefit of the doubt to everybody if yeah. that makes sense yeah absolutely it, it's not something that it's not that you don't have the right to criticize something not to reflect on it yourself and say well but i think you're when you've had a like a litany of successes and failures yourself mm. and you know how things work better and you know what kind of like resources you require to do x y and z and then you see someone do x y and z and you're like well they've done a good job with what they've got or you know something mm. like that so you, you relativize it a lot more i think but also I've found myself being increasingly more, and I always like I, I sort of gathered, garnered this. Uh, is that the right word? Garnered like a kind of reputation yeah. mm -hmm. for being like someone that didn't like painting, for example. Like I, it was just because of, but not not through anything that I had done. It was because I was interested in other things, and people, oh, he must not like, you know, painting because he likes all that video art and stuff like that. And but I found myself really like I've always loved like you know dutch golden age painting for example or like you know you know a lot of modernist uh, stuff I, I really really um appreciate and love but um i would I've, I've been increasingly drawn to that again because it's much more meditative in a sense and i feel like the way that we consume art in a broader sense remotely particularly over the last few years I've really struggled with a lot of things. I've been to quite a lot of conferences, um, online talks and mm -hmm. such, and obviously gave some myself. And I kind of, I don't want to say it like this, but when you're interested already, you're engaged. When I was doing it, I was interested. But when I've been at stuff where I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of all right, I'll log into that. I find it really difficult. I'm like distracted by like whatever's mm -hmm. right in front of me, you know, in a way that I'm not when I'm in the moment with, with the thing. Yeah. I, I think what you say there about things being relative or criticisms being relative obviously is something I'm much more aware of now and mm -hmm. when I walk into say a national museum mm -hmm. 
I really like I know that they have you know four year lead in times for an exhibition and large institutions are much more critical of the curation often more than they are yeah because I know Absolutely. what resources people are, are playing with and I know that they also have the clout to, to, to stand up to an artist in a way that if yeah. you're a much smaller gallery or institution you maybe, you maybe don't that's an, no that's interesting standing up to an artist that's interesting because um, like the 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 way that like I never felt like I'm just thinking about how we work together like I never felt like I could tell you what to do or that you were ever going to tell me what to do if that makes sense I just wanted to interject with that yeah I, whereas when I've maybe been working with yeah. bigger yeah. institutions they very much told me just like you say they're like they'll yeah. stand up and say no you're doing this or that or this is the expectation See, you know? I so uh, I'll interject into your interjection <laughs> Because I've often been in situations um, where I'm doing something for somebody else. Not often. I mean, like nobody really asked me to do anything. But the, the, when I have been asked to do things, I've often been second guessing what they really want. Yeah. I'm like, they've said that, but what do they really want? And it's really difficult. You're in a room, especially in an institution, and maybe uh, so. It, uh, there's a couple examples I can think of. But you're in a room, and I, I remember I was pitching some ideas to a, a director of this gallery I was doing like uh, curation work and uh, the idea was that I was uh, uh, you know putting together a, a you know like a program or, or something like that and I was pitching ideas and I just had a list of 10 ideas because I had no idea like I, I was like I have no idea what this guy wants from me I have no idea what he likes about and it was so fucking cryptic to get a fucking ant you know and you're just like okay how about this and he's like yeah yeah that could work and I was like but how about this it was like every everything I gave him was the same, yeah. And it was like that was difficult in the, the sense that I've very rarely been in the situation where I felt instrumentalized. I've often felt it's been the opposite, where I felt like, well, what was it you want from me? You mm -hmm. know, like they they don't really know. And I think when uh, I speak to speak speak to you, I think our, our working relationship was slightly different because we're obviously to a certain degree peers, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a certain degree to which that shapes things. Um, there's not necessarily uh, a hierarchy, like especially if you're working with somebody that's much older and much more established, for example. There's a certain deference, perhaps, that can s s sneak in, or, or you start second guessing your own judgment and things, and you you, yeah. you, you pay or you put more weight on what somebody else says. Um, but I think because we're peers, like there's a certain degree to which things can be negotiated out. And I think as well, there's also a, a lack of uh, uh, what's the word uh, def defensiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're working with somebody. Uh, yeah, the lack of defensiveness, and there's also uh, there's a there's a lack of uh, bullshitting, right? Because I'd I'd known you like I remember the first time I was aware of your presence was at your undergrad degree show, right? And uh, what's the best way to put this? I'm kind of known all those steps and things you've done. Yeah, and I think often maybe if you're an artist and you you're called up in the big leagues, uh, there's often maybe a feeling where you have to pretend you're actually worthy. Yeah. Whether you call that imposter syndrome or not. Um, yeah. No, I understand what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. I feel like there is a time and a place for like a curator that knows what they're doing yeah. to direct the artist in some way. 
but if you're being directed that relationship has to be um, one where you're complicit in being directed rather than it being otherwise it does come across as they're just telling me what to do it's demanded you know yeah. and and I feel like and then you've also got all of these things where established artists to use that term I think the rain's on um, established artists in that, in that way are working with like newly at new institutions and new things and then obviously as you describe the relationship that we have um, I think there's a time and a place for all of those things but it's about how every, everyone has to be on the same page with it because I've been in situations where not been on the same page how ridiculous is that that the rain's coming on I checked the forecast before coming. Don't I think this like, is maybe a, I think yeah. this is maybe a, a good time to sort of bring it bring it to an end. Um, <laughs> because the last thing I was about to say is maybe the reason that I didn't really want to put any pressure on you when you were doing our project was because I knew how little we were paying you. <laughs> uh, so that, that that was that was also uh, that was also in there in the back of my head as well. Um, Knowing that I didn't want <laughs> but like exploitation. Yeah. yeah. Hang on. And you're coming up to a caravan. <laughs> This, this podcast, podcast was, was brought, brought to you, you by oh. Ruth Aitken and Stuart Lee. Together we are fuck. Fuck. <laughs> this podcast was funded by the Norwegian Arts Council, Norsk Kulturrod, and we would like to say thank you to Nicholas Horner and the Art Academy of Tromsø who lent us their time and facilities. We will be back next week with a brand new episode of Lost, where we will finally find out if they have... No, sorry. Wrong. Wrong. We will be back next week with a brand new episode of the Fuck Podcast. The music featured in this episode was by Background Music for House Parties.